Hello and welcome to the Le Domestique Cycling Podcast, a podcast all about cycling and the incredible experiences you can have on your bike. This is episode two. Episode one was released last year. It's taken us a while to get this one together. We've been pulling content um, and, and interviews and features together for, for an upcoming series, which we're, we're hoping to release in the coming weeks and months. We're really excited about that, but to be completely honest, we wanted to get it really right. We've listened to a lot of podcasts and you know some are better than others and we we want ours to be good we want ours to be a an interesting resource so whether you're on the train um you know commuting or you're on the turbo or you're just listening in your spare time we're hoping to bring you some really interesting stories some background to what we do um some of the people we get to meet and things like that so stick with us um we'll have more content coming soon this episode's a really great one. We were very lucky to um, have Laura Fletcher from the Peloton Brief and Nathan Haas record um, answers basically to Nathan, um, questions posed to Nathan on our Facebook uh, page by friends and followers all about training and what life is like as a pro, you know, the reality of it, not the uh, the behind the scenes, I suppose, not the, not the, the face of it. And, it. and it's really interesting, you know, Nathan talks about things with a very... Um, very open viewpoint and provide some real insight so we hope you really enjoy that this is a bonus episode that um, the guys at the Peloton Brief recorded for us because of our sponsorship of Phil Guyman's Real Talent podcast so if you love cycling podcasts you'll absolutely love Phil so that's Phil Guyman's Real Talent podcast um, can't recommend that enough Phil's recently retired and he's now pursuing um, a combined career um, working as a, as a real person as he calls it um, while also trying to hold on to his pro fitness by going for a series of KOMs on Strava. So we've got an upcoming special with Phil about that where he tells us a bit more about his motivations behind it and the reality of KOM chasing and the adjustment from pro life to um, that of the rank and file uh, amateur cyclist, although he's quite a lot better than um, most of us suspect. But there we go. Uh, I'll hand over to Laura and Nathan. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please like, share, um, follow us on your podcast app of choice. Um, let your friends know. And like I say, we hope we've got some really interesting content coming in the uh, in the next few weeks and months. So stick with us. Laura here from the Peloton Brief, sitting with Nathan Haas over lunch on the day he's leaving for the Giro d'Italia. So apologies for any lunch sounds in the background. Uh, we've had a bit of a rush of a day getting everything ready to go. So Nathan, just a few questions for you that have come in from some of the La Domestique Tours um, fans and participants. Um, first question in from Kate Spice. So, excuse me, Kate Soper. How do you go about setting season goals and your racing calendar? And then, work, and then how do you set up your training appropriately along with that? Hi, Kate. Thanks for the question. I think that's a pretty good question, to be honest. And it's one of the questions that coming into every season, it feels like you change uh, philosophy or concept or idea or ambition. I think the first one is, um, is always setting your goals pretty high. Uh, you know, you, you should never rest in your laurels in terms of what was last season because you should always expect more in the next. However, there also has to be a touch of uh, realism and also pragmatism when it comes to how that plan needs to have a process. Uh, for the most part, however, uh, professional cyclists all have their speciality. So I'm never going to set my goal to win the Tour de France because I'm not that kind of rider. For me, 
my natural abilities are more towards uh, races like the Ardennes. So in fact, a lot of the time your goals actually are sort of self... Um, fulfilling? Yeah, self-fulfilling would be probably the best word to, to use. And um, it's, it's also what you've had in the past as success is what you tend to keep chasing and keep working towards. So setting goals, um, it's, it's partly self-fulfilled, but at the same time, we try to keep things interesting and try to keep plans different. And, and we're always testing new approaches into similar uh, goal races. So whether that's training instead of racing into it or vice versa, it's always different. And, and trying different races on different continents is always fun too. So we always try to keep it fun, uh, scientific, and also to be fair to yourself. We'll let Nathan have a few bites of his sandwich as I'm filling a bit of the info there as well. Um, all the teams have a coach that will help him set training goals alongside that. He also has a personal coach that works with him on a regular basis, almost daily phone calls, just to check in, see how the training's going. And each day is sort of fluid and it changes based on how the days before have been. All setting towards a goal, looking at what the next race is, factoring in any, you know, life happens, factoring in illness, injuries, etc. So it's a constantly moving thing. Some coaches will plan out a month in advance, but then tailor it, and it's just sort of taking it day by day and working to see how the body feels best in time for the races. Uh, next question is from Alex Taylor. Does the training feel like a job, and how do you stay motivated throughout a season and training by yourself? <laughs> Another good question. Yeah, sometimes training really does feel like a task, especially on wet, rainy, cold days. You know, it's not something that we enjoy doing, and... It's not like we have, you know, the one day of the weekend, say Saturday, where you say, oh, I'm going to ride rain, hail or shine. Uh, because ultimately you can still enjoy that because you only have to do it once a week. But if we get a, a pretty horrible streak of weather or it's winter and, and you're preparing, sometimes it does feel like work. And also after big long races where you're both physically but more mentally tired than anything, Waking up to clip into the bike can sometimes be a real task. How do I work around that? I don't know what other guys do, but for me, I like to keep it mixed up. So I, I put in a lot of, um, well, me and my coach, we work a lot on having uh, gym training into my program. So that can sort of add load and stress to the body in a way that challenges you in different ways. And you're not also out on the bike. But then I also love to do mountain biking and cross biking. So... I get up into the mountains, dirt hills, dirt roads, and it just feels like more of an, of an adventure as opposed to just doing, you know, four or five hours slow endurance riding on the road. So it's one of the best ways to mix things up, but also good company doesn't hurt. Which may be why Nathan bought a tandem bike this year to guarantee that he'll always have company on the bike. <laughs> haven't used the bike yet, but we haven't. <laughs> we haven't used it yet. See how it goes, but I think that will ensure some locked-in company. Um, on that note of training and by, by himself, here in Girona, there's a massive community of pros that live here and train together, and it's not divided by team. It's just sort of who's doing the same sort of training that day, sort of work it out, and a lot of them go together in groups, so they're not training alone too much of the time. So the next question is in from Robert Cartledge. Hi, Rob. When you have a target event such as Amstel Gold, do you gear training very specifically towards the demand of that race? And if so, how do you gear it? Yeah, absolutely. We tailor our training to the events. Now, before a Grand Tour, I like to do more long sustained climbing efforts because of the climbs that you have to do. But 
for something like Amstel, you're going up, I think, 32 climbs in the day. And none of them Short are... Climbs. They're all, yeah. yeah, they're all less than six to eight minutes. So there's no point in doing an hour-long climb over and over. You actually have to work on the ability to repeat short, sustained, hard efforts. So, uh, you know, just for sprinters, they, they practice their lead-outs behind motorbikes. They practice their sprints and, and time trialers practice their time trial efforts. So, you know, training is not just about going out and riding hard. It's, it's about trying to train energy systems and, and also just understanding what the efforts need to feel like back-to-back. -back. So very specific and if people are wanting to to learn more about that then i think any coach worth their weight of is uh is going to be able to tailor uh, their training plan not around just getting fit but around people's goals sorry nathan's just having a bite of a sandwich in the background so maybe we'll leave him to chew for a minute um we need some interlude music So one of the more general questions, not from a specific person, is just what your sort of day-to-day -day life looks like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna field this question and uh, let Nathan fill in anything where I've gotten it wrong. Day-to-day -day life is pretty much wake up, eat breakfast, get out on the bike. If there's time in the morning, go for a nice coffee at one of the many cafes in Girona before the ride starts. Meet up with some some friends, some fellow pro riders, and get out on the bike. Come home, eat lunch in the Glycemic window or whatever that thing is called. <laughs> Nathan, am I right so far? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually don't... it's a pretty balanced lunch. He wants to get some protein in there right after the ride for recovery, good veggies, lots of options in Girona for that as well. Followed usually by any time, anything between a 30 minute to a two hour nap based on how long the ride was and how much sleep there was the night before. Um, the nice thing about Girona is that's actually quite tailored towards a professional cyclist's needs in that way is that the entire city has a nap between 2 and 4 p.m. All the shops are closed and the shops stay open later until 8 p.m. They reopen at 4, 4.30 generally. So after the nap time is when the sort of day-to-day -day life gets done, where the things that you, any person needs to go, doctor's appointments or the bank or just running errands, grocery shopping, that sort of all happens in the window after nap, before dinner. There's a lot of therapists in town that help out the guys when they're home, so there'll often be a massage scheduled or physio treatment if anything's wrong or niggling. Then you, uh, easy dinner, same sort of thing, in or out, it's all pretty easy around here, and then uh, early night into bed, I know. Looks glamorous from the outside, pretty much a routine from, from the inside. Did I nail that, Nathan? Did I get that right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a bit wash, rinse, repeat, but you know, the, the routine of being at home is very important. You know, you're spending so many days out on the road that actually keeping it really simple when you are home is, is quite good for, you know, the psychology of, of staying focused at the races. Um, but yeah, like Laura said, the, uh, the important thing for me anyway, a lot of guys don't nap, but for me, uh, my training is not actually finished until I've woken up from my nap. I find it to be one of the most important aspects of training, recovery, and also just staying happy in this game without without sleep the the body produces less of the uh, you know the natural hormones for recovery and um you know i have to give myself a chance to to actually be the best i can be and and sleeping is an important part of it all right next question is from francis jago bit more personal 
We noticed a real difference in your build from riding with you in October to riding with you in March. How big a role does diet play in your training and how is that overseen? So I believe that's Francis saying you were fat in October. <laughs> well, that is, I'm reading between the lines there, mate. <laughs> what, what are you saying? Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, we have to run ourselves right on the line of, of being light, but then also there's the fine line between light and then unhealthy. You know, a big part of staying healthy, um, again, is sleeping. Um, a big part of uh, losing weight, again, is sleeping. And obviously... A healthy, you can't eat when you're asleep. <laughs> but obviously a healthy diet um, is it's not only key to weight loss, but it's key to health. Um, I keep harping on here about the word health, which is more important than actually being skinny and cycling. And a lot of people get that wrong. But one of the other things that people often... Uh, make the mistake of is not actually putting on quite a lot of weight in the off season it's you know all, all year we're just getting our sort of recovery hormones and natural levels of say testosterone or natural levels of uh you know the the natural growth hormone our body actually creates to stay on top of um you know mitochondria development uh, blood cell level um you know the actual quality of our blood cells if we don't have enough fuel in our body for a long time, it seems like we're only always just getting our head above water in between races. So in the off season, it's actually very important to replace being light with actually being quite overweight and give our body and its sort of natural, natural biorhythms an opportunity to feel safe, an opportunity to actually prioritize some of the, the functions of recovery, which are just more than quickly restore this muscle here, quickly restore you know as much blood as it can in, in this case in the off season when you get fat everything gets restored and you get to start the season with sort of like a full cupboard of ingredients um, as an analogy but then obviously the hard part then is losing that weight but you don't do that by crash dieting you just do it with good steady training and clean eating and it's a lot of people over complicate it but it's quite simple it's just train well eat well and over the course of the right amount of time, you'll find yourself at a healthy racing weight again. And again, I say the priority there is to be at a healthy racing weight, not just as light as you can be, because there's, there's always a, a point where you tip over the edge to being unhealthy, and then there's no performance anyway. And how would you say your alcohol consumption differs during the off-season? Well, there's a big difference. I mean, in... let's, let's just have a casual frank moment here. <laughs> like, how much of that... October weight was just beer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it has to be a healthy way to put the weight on. But yeah, I think, I think from a you know from from a mental level as well, you could talk about health and all these things. But you're also talking about at the same time the the parallel is also you know you've got physical health and you've got mental health, and these guys are pushing themselves to the limit for nine months and staying focused all the time. So it's not like a nine to five where you sort of can go right. It's the weekend. I've got two days off. Let's do whatever we want. For these guys, it's almost like one week is the whole year and you've got a month to sort of at the end of the year that's sort of your night out at the pub not saying that everybody becomes raging alcoholics but everybody does sort of like to kick back and let loose a little bit in that little bit of time they have and it's sort of holding themselves back from it for the rest of the year so yeah some some guys uh don't need to decompress in that sense some guys they actually love the feeling of of not doing anything um whatsoever in the off season but for me I really like the feeling of actually making up for the lost time and taking it to a point where you think to yourself, 
Yeah, I'm pretty good to maybe not have a drink for the next 10 months. I think I overdid it. So everyone has their own methods and ways of getting to the same point. But for me... Uh, He's not a raging alcoholic. It's, <laughs> no, it's not as bad as making it sound. But yes, to answer your question, I think alcohol does account for some of that <laughs> excess off-season weight. I think it might be the easiest way to lose. <laughs> just a little beer belly. just disappears afterwards. Uh, all right, sorry. The next question in is from Bertie Heyman. How do you manage your performance and recovery over the course of a grand tour? And do you have a daily or nightly routine that you follow to ensure that you are in the best shape for the next day? Do you want me to repeat that question? Mm, please. Let's break this down a little bit. How do you manage your performance and recovery over the course of a grand tour? Do you have a daily or nightly routine that you follow to ensure you are in the best shape for the next day? And so a few questions tricked into that one there. So Thanks, um, to break it down, uh, how do you manage recovery? Um, it's a really hard question, to be honest, because that would be assuming that you're trying the same level every day or you're, you're feeling the same every day. The, the issue with Grand Tours is, is you don't know how hard you're going to have to buy into the race. One, just to finish on any particular day, or two, if an opportunity presents itself, you have to take it. Now, obviously the GC riders um, you know, have to stay switched on every day, but the, the tactic for most other riders is actually having easy days and harder days. And um, Taking into account all of that, some of the easy days you actually don't need to eat as much after the race as you think. Um, so nutrition is something that actually changes from day to day based on the daily needs and requirements and, and knowing how long the next stage is going to be and what kind of effort that might in, in, in sort of include, whether or not you're doing long sustained climbing or being really easy on the flat without crosswind and then feeling like you're doing a recovery ride and, until the last sprint final. So recovery is different, but the, the main thing is over three weeks, you never know how your body's going to respond. And um, the, the hardest part is everyone knows they're going to have a bad day or two and you never know when they're going to come. You just pray that they're not on the, the hard mountain stages that are hard to finish anyway. But every night we have a massage. Uh, we get seen by our physio or osteos um, and we have a chef that makes the best food in the world. So it's um, a pretty good system from the support that we get, but really the recovery just comes from how well you've trained and how used to Grand Tours you are. Fantastic answer. Um, let Nathan have a few more bites of his lunch um, while I somewhat feel the next question and let Nathan fill in as well. More general question, how much oversight is there from the team? Do they provide training plans and monitor, monitor everything you do or do you, do you do your own thing most of the year and meet up occasionally for training camps? I think the main thing would be to remember is that the team meets up every time there's a race so that you're looking at the most sort of time off that Nathan really has between races unless he's on a specific break is a few weeks. So every few weeks he's checking in in person with his team. Um, the, most teams these days sort of assign a specific sports director to a group of riders. So you've got one sports director dependent, not, and it's not based on the race schedule, but just sort of divided up to sort of have a direct contact to the team. Um, Nathan has a team coach and a personal coach that work together to sort of plan the training. And I think there's almost daily contact, if I'm correct, Nathan. Well, he's got his mouth full of quiche. Let him chew and swallow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a UCI requirement for all World Tour teams to provide a coach for every rider. 
Um, that's, that's more of a, a health and safety issue more than anything. Um, and uh, coaches, you know, vary on their style, but the one thing that everyone is doing now is, um, is assessing power and, and uh, you know, other, other metrics that you can actually um, read into recovery and fitness, like heart rate response time and, and things like that. So, you know, science is now a huge part of training. But, um, uh, you know, there's also, also um, a very important place for uh, speaking to an athlete and not just looking at their numbers. So that, that's also an important part of, of why teams have coaches and directors that check in all the time. And, and obviously for teams, um, it's in their best interest to have their rider going as best they can at all times. Um, and specifically during their peak periods, uh, making sure that their rider is not only physically at his best, but really mentally switched on for knowing how to win. So, uh, you know, communication is huge from the team. We don't meet up for many team camps. I think there's other teams that do that more often, like Sky. Um, but Dimension Data has uh, a very good sports science unit, um, a very good medical unit, and we have a fantastic mix of directors that have a lot of the soft skills in communicating with people to keep us um, switched on and motivated throughout the whole season. So. Obviously, ten month season is a is a long time to actually stay motivated for. So it's there's a huge amount of management that goes on, and I think uh, you know the best teams are the ones that can keep their athletes um, just sort of bought into the idea of being healthy. All right, there's one last question for you, but before we go into that, you know, I'm just going to do a do a quick little plug for. Well, meantime, as we asked what Nathan does as well in his off time, one of the things that we work on here, of course, is our big Quebeca Gala dinner, where all the money goes to the charity Quebeca, which is what Team Dimension Data rides for. Everybody's welcome to come. That's on October 7th. Put it in the calendars, guys. Stay tuned to Low Domestique Tours for any special events to go along with that. Nathan, last question, as he's just finishing his lunch. We timed this perfectly. Um, what one piece of advice would you would a pro give an amateur who wants to get better? He's on to his coffee course, guys. Let him follow. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to need a coffee for that. I think, I, I believe there's only one reason um, to give this answer, and it's because it does come from a place where I've now seen a lot of people get better at cycling and I've also seen a lot of people who are very good at cycling get much worse. And the answer to that question is simple, is ride because you love it. If you're ever out on the bike on one day and you're not enjoying it, turn away and go home. You know, the brain chemicals are a very big and important part of fitness and your motivation to actually get fitter. It's it's a long game that you have to play to become a better cyclist. It's not something that you can do overnight in a week or in a month. It's the, it's the curves that you find over the years. And the less time that you spend on the bike being unhappy about it, the more time you're going to probably have off or be unfocused for later down the road. It's all about staying consistent. It's about staying happy on the bike and enjoying what you do, but also ultimately stay safe. Thanks so much, Nathan, for your time slash your lunch time. Um, hope you guys couldn't hear too much chewing in the background of that. Busy days this time of year here in Girona. 
Um, stay tuned for some more content coming up over the next few months. We've got Phil lined up to talk about his Strava challenges with you guys. And stay safe. Enjoy the riding. Cheers. So there we go. That was a conversation with Laura Fletcher from the Peloton Brief and Nathan Haas, Team Dimension Data. Um, if it wasn't apparent from the podcast, they're a couple, so they're they're engaged and um, obviously they live together. So you got quite a cool little insight there from Laura as well about what Nathan's actually like off, off and on the bike. So we hope that was really useful. As they mentioned, Nathan was jetting off to the Giro shortly after recording the podcast and he's currently riding it and doing really, really well. So I'm sure he'd appreciate your support. You can find him on Twitter and you can find Laura um, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and um, and their website, uh, the, uh, the Peloton Brief. So that's a really interesting website. If you're interested in this sort of stuff, which is cycling and behind the scenes and the reality of being a pro cyclist, there's some really interesting stories and, and articles on there. So be sure to check that out. You heard them mention about Girona and their gala, which is a fundraiser they hold each year in October. We'll be running something in conjunction with that. And we're really excited actually to have Nathan helping us um, design a few days of riding around that which is basically his dream riding really so if he was given a free choice to do the rides he could do in the area without really thinking about training or you know ultra focused discipline where would he go and and that that riding and we built around that was stay in some fantastic hotels that are completely off the beaten track and hopefully give people an experience that they maybe haven't had before so if you're interested in that get in touch you can find us at ledom l-e-d-o-m dot c-c and you can find us on social media at ledom tours on all of the the main networks finally if you're into cycling and podcasting then you've got to listen to phil guyman's um, real talent podcast he's just recorded his third season which is called the retirement season um, obviously phil's moving into um, post pro career uh, becoming a, a, a real uh, a real employee, he's working, but he's also doing a really cool project where he's going for Strava KOMs on some of the big mountains out in the States. So that's a really interesting listen. Our favourite episode from that season was these, uh, the Frank Overton uh, episode where Frank's a coach um, with a huge amount of experience and the two of them pretty much give you a training plan um, that you pretty much anyone can use to improve and, and really focus their training. So if you've got any thoughts about training or you want to um, learn how to improve as quickly as possible, check that out. Otherwise, that's it from us for now. We'll be, um, we'll be back soon with more content. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please um, subscribe, like, uh, share with your friends. And if you could leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, that'd be great. It really helps. So yeah, there you go. I hope your training keeps going well and um, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.